Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Have you ever prayed for a miracle of healing and not received it? Maybe for yourself or maybe a family member or a friend. Some of you have been with us for a few years. You may recall back in May of 2017, we did a series called Jesus Heals. And one of the reasons why we did that series was because there were several people in our congregation who were sick and in need of healing. Uh, One of those people was Carl Wolf. Some of you remember Carl. Um, We even had a prayer meeting back here outside of the sanctuary uh, for Carl. I really believed that God was going to heal Carl. Um, And maybe in some way God did, but not physically. Carl would end up passing away later in August uh, from brain cancer. And that was the first time that I had ever experienced being next to someone's deathbed. I was with Carl just hours before uh, he died. He would die later in the night uh, after I had been there with him. And I have to be honest and say that was, uh, that was, that was an, an impact on my faith. That was hard. Around about the same time, our own Shirley Groff who was also on her deathbed, uh, was healed by God. Uh, Pastor Dave, you'll remember, we went to see her in the hospital, and uh, it was rather divine. Dave didn't take his guitar, but there was actually a guitar already there in the hospital room when we visited with her, and she was pretty much non-responsive. Her face did light up. Shirley, are you here this morning? There you are. Your face lit up when we came into the room. It was obvious you recognized who we were. Um, and again, the guitar was there. We, Dave picked up the guitar. We sang Tazay songs with Shirley, which Shirley loved so much. When we left you, Shirley, we thought that was the last time we were going to see you. And God truly performed a miracle and healed Shirley. <laughs> Praise God for that. So... Think about this with me. Um, You know, how is it, why is it that sometimes God heals people and sometimes that doesn't happen? I have to first say it is a mystery. We, We do not know. But what we can trust is the God who looks like Jesus, who I want to talk to you about this morning. 
Jesus the healer. We can also say, when we ask this question, why does this happen this way? Sometimes people are healed, sometimes people aren't. The world is not as it should be. We all know this, we recognize this. Uh, We call it the fall in Christian theology. Somewhere along the lines in the midst of creation, sin and death entered the picture. So things are, as I said, not as they should be. And so when we see miracles, or might call them inbreakings of the kingdom, they are meant to be signposts to show us where God is taking creation. God is not going to leave things the way that they are, right? It also should remind us that we live in a war zone. If, if you're having your mind shaped by a New Testament worldview, then you hear things like when Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and powers in the heavenly realms. There's a cosmic struggle that is going on all around us. Now that's hard for some folks to believe, uh, but, it, but we believe it's true in the church. We believe it's true. And, and, and it, it speaks to some reason why things are the way that they are. It's like, it's like we live on the beach of Normandy and, and a war has broken out right where we live. So there's a struggle all around us, the real struggle between good and evil. So sometimes there are victories and sometimes there are defeats. Sometimes we see, played out in front of us, good gets the upper hand, and then sometimes it seems like evil wins. But ultimately, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, if you go there, you look, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 39, probably my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. Paul talks about how creation groans. Things are not the way that they should be, and they're not the way God's going to leave them. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus... God is going, and we've been promised through that, God is going to take this world, he's going to redeem it, he's going to renew it, he's going to restore it. So the death and resurrection of Jesus has set a trajectory of hope. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that death has lost its sting. It's, it's already on the way out. It will not have the final word. But in the meantime, we live in the already but not yet of the kingdom. That's what we say in Christian theology. The already but not yet of the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Paul writes about the hope of resurrection. This is from the New Living Translation. I love this. He says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying because of the resurrection of Jesus, when we experience conversion, that that first step with Jesus and coming in to salvation, coming into the kingdom, resurrection has already begun in an inward way. And one day we are promised because Jesus is the prototype, Jesus was raised from the dead, we know that our whole bodies will be raised with him. So get this picture. Resurrection has already begun in an inward way. While we might not receive outward healing, 
And those prayers may not be answered the way we want them to. Ultimately, we're all going to die. You know, we're not going to live on like vampires for 500 years or 1,000 years. I mean, that would be terrible in this state if you think about it. So it, it, it really shouldn't, if, think about it that way, it shouldn't really impact our faith. If Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who dies will live. <laughs> One day God's going to do this. May not happen in this life where we get our miracle, but ultimately we will. So back to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. That's why we never give up. Our bodies are dying, but our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. They won't last very long. Paul says, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, but they have been promised to us. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What's Paul saying? I think on one level or another, this, this is the truth that we should cling to this morning. We may experience the healing power of Jesus and the gospel today. Inward transformation and healing to be sure, and then sometimes in an outward physical way, God may do what only God can do in bringing glory to himself by surprising us with an inexplicable miracle. Now, here's how we need to define miracle, because I think we throw this word around quite a bit today in a way that doesn't really truly match what a miracle is. Anybody see the movie The Miracle? Good movie. One of my favorite sports movies, true story, uh, based on the U.S. Uh, hockey team, 1980 hockey team, who beat the Russians. He called it a miracle, right? But not really, <laughs> not really, but good story. Love Kurt Russell in that, you know? This is your moment. <laughs> a miracle, let's define it this way, is an event that is unexpected unusual or extraordinary that has no reasonable or natural explanation. It requires what we've called supernatural or divine causation to occur. Now, David Hume, some of you may have heard of him as an 18th century Scottish philosopher, said that miracles are a violation or a transgression of the laws of nature, and that no sane or rational person believes in them. The problem, though, with this view, folks, is that naturalism, or what you might, might call scientism today, that is science answers all of the important questions about truth and reality, it doesn't allow for multiple dimensions of reality or the possibility of divine agency acting outside of space and time that may also intervene, transcend, and transform our understanding of the natural world. But this is just the sort of thing that we would expect if the Creator, right, He made the world, then entered the world, becoming a part of the world, and then dies and is resurrected. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes, In the dawn of the new creation of all things, they, that is Jesus' healings, which we're talking about this morning, are really not miracles at all. They are completely natural and just what we have to expect. It is only if this eschatological hope is lost, that is, if we forget that the cross and resurrection has accomplished, that these wonders appear to be miracles in an unchanged world. But in the framework of hope 
for the kingdom of God. Jesus' healings are reminders of hope. Regardless of the level of healing that is that we experience, on some level we are all experiencing the healing of Jesus. That's what I want us to think about this morning. Jesus is the source, the true source of all healing. He may use various methods, medicine, counseling, whatever, but Jesus is the source, and we need not forget that this morning. In the New Testament, miracles are signs of the kingdom. Get this picture in your head. Signs, indicators of Jesus' true identity, to be sure, and evidence of the new creation that is coming. They are signposts to God's good future. So that when we see miracles like, say, with Shirley, it is God's way of blessing us, pouring his grace out, not just upon Shirley, but upon all of us, to say, hey, I'm with you. I've not forgotten, and the kingdom is coming. This is, this is where I'm taking all of creation. I think we should see that. Now look what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 48. He said, unless you people see signs and wonders, and this is the way New Testament talks about miracles. It doesn't use the word miracle. It says signs and wonders. Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, there was an expectation that when Messiah comes, there would be miracles to prove it. And Jesus does plenty of this. But Jesus, actually in John 4, is a little frustrated that people almost demand it. You remember later uh, when Jesus goes before Herod in his, in his trial, they quickly rush Jesus in a matter of hours to, to Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate again. And Pilate isn't really interested in Jesus. He just wants to see a little miracle. Just show me something. But Jesus says nothing. And Jesus does nothing. Because Jesus isn't about that. And that's what he means here. He's, he's disturbed by the fact that some people need that in order to believe. But, but don't get him wrong. Jesus is happy to do it because he sympathizes with our pain. Having said all of that, if you're a bit skeptical this morning of miracles, which I can sympathize with, or you'd just like to give more attention to the reality of miracles, I'd like to recommend uh, some reading to you if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, there is an academic two-volume work by Craig Keener, New Testament scholar called Miracles. And then it recently came out with a more popular level reading accessible book called Miracles Today, The Supernatural Work of God in the Modern World. And if you want to listen to that on the go, you can, you can get an audio book of this. Craig is actually married uh, to an African woman and has, has seen up close firsthand God do miraculous things. And so in his work, he's not only talking about the reality and the possibility of miracles in the New Testament, but gives modern examples and stories of how God is doing this around the world. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to check it out. But I want to move on past that and just acknowledge that as, as the church, as the historic church, we accept this. We accept this. So moving forward, we need to acknowledge that miracles or signs and wonders were not commonplace in the ancient world. This is something we're tempted to think in our modern world of technology and sort of anti-supernaturalism that we experience in the West. All those gullible, silly people, you know. Uh, they, they believed in, like, fawns and talking snakes, you know, or something like that. And, and they, this, this stuff happens all the time. But in fact, 
While at first, first glance it may seem that way when reading the Gospels, a third of Mark's Gospels uh, of Mark's Gospel is, is, has healings. A third of the Gospel. That's a lot. Uh, a closer look, though, reveals that Jesus' audience, his disciples, the crowds, his opponents, were shocked by what they witnessed. They were shocked. And they had different reactions to what they saw and what was reported. Here, here's a few of them, what the crowd's skeptics and opponents said. Mark chapter 2, verse 12 Mark tells us this amazed everyone. Jesus healed the lame man here. It says, it's amazed everyone. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And then in Matthew chapter 9, after Jesus cast out a demon out of a man who had made him mute, the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they say, it is by the prince of demons or Satan or the devil, that he drives out demons. Now, Luke's gospel, Jesus will call them out on their faulty logic here. I mean, how can the kingdom of Satan stand if Satan is casting out devils? doesn't make any sense. But he says, by, if I do these things by the Spirit of God, then you need to know the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a new sheriff in town. Then there is the uh, first century Jewish historian, non-Christian, who records this about Jesus, saying Jesus was a wise man who worked startling deeds. The Greek phrase there is paradoxa erga. So unexplained works. Mysterious, unexplained works this Jesus of Nazareth did. And then in the Babylonian Talmud, which was uh, compiled between 2nd and 5th centuries A.D., says, this is a rabbinic commentary on the Torah, they mention Jesus. And they say this about the second century, Jesus practiced sorcery and led Israel astray and enticed them into apostasy. And said, Isn't that interesting? Like, they don't deny it. They acknowledge it, but say, much like they did in the New Testament, that it's by the power of the devil and witchcraft that he did these things. I find that fascinating. So clearly the historical Jesus did some extraordinary things. And we have to decide today how and why he did them. Were they tricks? Were they placebo healings? Was Jesus only healing psychosomatic illnesses, right? So physical illnesses that have been caused by some mental strain, anxiety, or trauma. Or did he really heal people with various kinds of sickness, both outwardly and inwardly? According to the New Testament, Jesus did. And not just heal them, but cure them. And those healings indicated that he was not only the promised Messiah, but he was also God in the flesh. And there were other times and places that people saw healings, but nothing like this. And, and no one ever with the authority that Jesus did it. Jesus simply just said the word. There were no magical incantations or potions. He just pronounced it. He didn't say in the name of rabbi so-and-so I say to you. He just said it. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anyone who speaks with such authority. In addition, his signs and wonders were motivated, don't miss this, by his love. They were motivated by his love, by deep feelings for those who suffered the effects of sin 
and death. Look carefully, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Matthew, the converted tax collector, follower of Jesus, said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The Greek word is splagnitsomai, which refers to the gut. This is like the seat of emotion. So Jesus' gut was wrenched. His heart is ripped open for what he sees when he looks at the people. Now, it should beg the question, what did he see? What was it that moved Jesus to compassion? Matthew says they, he looked at the people and they, they seemed harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe they, he saw that they were exploited by the empire. Maybe he saw their anxieties. Maybe he saw their trauma. Maybe he saw their poverty. Maybe he saw that people took advantage of them and no one was really helping Maybe people were just offering up their thoughts and prayers, but not lifting a finger. I don't know. But whatever it was, Jesus was moved with compassion. And notice there in verse 35, Jesus wasn't just teaching and preaching. He wasn't just about talk. He did something. He restored people. Jesus was a healer. And notice Jesus wants to heal and wants to involve us in his healing work. Look, he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen here. But what does he say? The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It makes me think of what uh, Henry Nouwen said, that God has called us to be wounded healers. Right? Th this side of eternity, none of us are going to get to the place where we say, I've been fully healed. I no longer wrestle with sin. I no longer struggle in my faith. No, 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 no. You know, we should be moving on up and deepening our faith and experiencing greater levels of healing, but certainly not on this side of eternity. So we can't wait around until we've sort of fully arrived before we go about the business of participating with Jesus in the healing of others. Listen to what Jesus is saying and listen to the invitation of Jesus. The invitation is to come to Christ, to be healed yourself, and on your way to healing, and participate in the healing of others. Now, what does that look like? A good question to ask. What does it look like? Here's what I think Jesus had in mind. This is what we mean when we talk about healing. Not just physical healing, but that's, that's a part of it. We talk about Jesus healing today. We are talking about the Lord restoring people to health at multiple levels and in all possible ways. Physically, psychologically, and socially. I, I know in the West it's a, a popular way of sort of thinking about Jesus, and certainly the, the, we see these metaphors in the Scripture, but thinking of Jesus sort of as our lawyer. You know, he steps in between us and the Father and gets us out of a jam, gets us out of a mess that we're in. But an, an Eastern view is to see Jesus as the great physician, as a healer. And the great sickness of us all is sin. I was in a conversation uh, yesterday over at the college and, uh, about racism, and someone asked, why? Why are we still dealing with this? 
I mean, why is it that someone wouldn't love me because of the color of my skin? I know this is rather complicated in, in one sense, you know. You could say, well, it's prejudice. It's the way people grew up. It's experiences that they've had. It's the environment, the, the things that, the ways that have conditioned them, the way they think. But ultimately, I didn't say this. I was thinking it because I, I, I know it sounds cliche. And we just kind of hear it and kind of move on. But the truth is, it's sin. And we've all been infected with it. This is one of those things that you're not going to, you know, go through this life not being affected by. If we all had a test this morning, like a rapid sin test, you would all be positive. (laughs) Right? Now, that isn't to say that we shouldn't be addressing the systems of injustice. But it is to say that ultimately, if we go about trying to do that and not address the internal problem, then what are we doing? And so Jesus knows this, and he offers that healing to us today. And in that sense, we might not all get a physical miracle, but we can certainly get some of that. We certainly need it. So as he was able, notice Jesus, and it fit within God's will and purpose, Jesus healed the sick and broken. And that's the mystery of it. We don't always know how it fits within God's will and purpose to heal and sometimes not to heal physically, specifically. But in most cases, healing was dependent upon a person's faith in Jesus and their desire to be healed. You remember in Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. He could not heal anyone there because of their disbelief. We're told that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. I like to think that Jesus is amazed with me sometimes. Uh, I don't want him to be amazed at my lack of faith. (laughs) But to those who came believing, and in some cases relentlessly pleading, I think of the Syrophoenician woman, right, who would not give up. She wanted a miracle. She wanted healing. Jesus would then heal them. His healings were holistic in nature. Beyond simply healing physical ailments, Jesus' healing touched broken hearts and minds. And he often forgave sins as he healed them. The process changed the way they saw God. He upset their theological framework, right? To forgive them of their sins, to heal them not only personally, but to restore them to the community. Remember the one time he healed someone and he said, now go to the religious leaders, let them check you out, go through the process, do what you need to do. Why? So you could be restored to the community. Jesus concerned about that. In healing, he affirmed people's dignity and their worth. He restored people to community, sometimes with words, sometimes with a touch, but always in love. Think about some of those stories from the Gospels. Just a handful of them here. Jesus heals a leper and makes him clean again. You remember this is where the leper says, if you are willing, I know that you can heal me. Jesus says, oh, I'm willing. And you think about this guy has been ostracized from his community. He's been kicked out of the village. Often there were leper colonies because these people couldn't associate with others. Imagine going years without being touched. Jesus touches him. Jesus heals him. Jesus restores him to community. Then there's a man's friends who are so convinced in the healing power of Jesus 
They can't get inside the house because all the seats are taken and nobody wants to give up their seat. So they say, let's go up on the roof and we'll rip a hole in it and we'll lower them down right in front of Jesus. He can't miss it. This is what they do. And notice Jesus heals this guy. It doesn't say because of his faith, but because of the faith of his friends. Now, if we go figure that one out. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Then we see a desperate woman pushing through a crowd. Jesus uh, is touched by this woman. It says the power went out of him, and Jesus felt it. And he said, who touched me? <laughs> All the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Oh, but there was one person who touched in faith. And this woman was healed instantly of her bleeding problem. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 4 cast out a demon from a guy at synagogue. Yes, bring your demons to church. Because Jesus will cast them out. He heals a blind man by placing mud on his eyes. He actually made the mud. He spit in dirt, put it on his eyes. Ew. And then asked the guy to participate in his own healing by going and washing so he could see. So Jesus does that. He raises Jairus' daughter from death. Jairus was a, a synagogue leader. His daughter was on her deathbed. She actually dies. Jesus heals her. He heals a centurion servant, a Roman soldier. How dare he? But he did it. And he did it at a distance because of this man's faith. Jesus says, well, show me your servant. I'll go in. I say, oh, don't, don't do that. I mean, that'll compromise you with your people. I know you're not supposed to be able to enter into the house of a Roman. Just say the word, I believe my servant will be healed. Now, folks, that's faith. Jesus actually says, I've not seen all, any faith like that in all of Israel. Jesus heals the guy's servant. He casts out legion of demons and restores a man to his community. He raises a widow's only son from death. Now imagine that. You've lost your husband. You have no other family. Your only son dies. Jesus is moved with compassion, raises him from the dead. Restores that relationship. And then the one that really gets him in trouble, right before this last final week on the earth, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he had been dead four days. The guy was already stinking. And Jesus resurrected him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at one more story of healing. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 5, just real quick. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. John chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. This is after he healed the official son. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now, what's going on with this pool? It's an ancient pool. They've actually, archaeologists a few years ago found this pool. And it was believed that when the waters began to bubble up, I think that was probably a spring, but there was this sort of superstitious idea that angels were stirring the water. And the first person to get in the hot tub would be healed. That's the idea here. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. What are they doing? They're waiting for the waters to begin to bubble up. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? 
I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And then Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can, can you relate to this lame man in some way? Think about this. 38 years. 38 years he couldn't get to the pool. Nobody to help him. I, you're, certainly your heart goes out to this guy. Jesus' heart went out to this guy. But you, you kind of have to think at some point something else is going on here. Waiting so long, nobody to help, yet he's still there. It should call us to ask this question. What are, what are the pools of pain, disappointment, and heartache in your life that you continue to sit at? Are you ready to give yourself and your needs fully to Jesus, to surrender to him? As Jesus said, do you want to be healed? To help us enter this healing story this morning and place ourselves in the position of a lame man in need of healing, and I'm inviting us to do that this morning. Put yourself in this man's shoes. I thought one way to do that is to show you this scene, this video clip from The Chosen. Let's watch this together. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir? I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. 
want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. Like he said, don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Oh, that's so good. Folks, this is the God that we worship this morning. Here's some questions to help us reflect and respond. The first question, what needs to be healed in your life today? Maybe it's not a physical ailment, but what has you crippled, so to speak? What needs to be healed? Number two, there's certain idols, sins, or excuses that are keeping you from experiencing some level of healing in your life. Remember what Jesus said, I'm not asking what others are doing or not doing. I'm asking about you. And then number three, regardless of your need or the method of healing, how is God inviting you to know Jesus as the healer of your soul today? And finally, listen to these words from James, the brother of Jesus. 
He says this in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 in the message. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. For the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. I'm going to be here down front during our response song. If you would like prayer, prayer for healing, doesn't matter what kind. I even brought some anointing oil. I'm here for you. If you want to come after the service, there'll be some others that will join me to pray with you. You can do that. Or you can just pray where you are. You can come to these altars. The important thing is that we hear Jesus speak to us this morning. I am talking to you. Do you want to be healed? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, the great physician, the healer of our souls. Lord, move in this place now. We rebuke Satan, the evil one. Give us faith. Help us to respond in faith. And all of God's people said.